Right, I want to uh, invite Ralph Sutherland to come up. Ralph and Anne-Marie, I was saying at the prayer meeting earlier, they are absolute evergreens in God. I have known them since uh, about 1984. I think you came to Palmerston North and Ralph came in and uh, the first I really knew about Ralph was he was doing items at church and he could sing just like Keith Green and play the guitar and he's a master musician. He's a great musician, played in a famous band um, back in the rock days called the Potter's People, uh, played bass and had long hair and and uh, was, the, was the full deal of the uh, 70s and 80s, I guess. And uh, But they've... Uh, been faithful in leadership and I'm saying this morning I like I've known them I've seen them a lot you know and I've never ever on one occasion as God is my witness I've never seen them anything less than white hot for God anything less than absolutely committed absolutely engaged absolutely pouring out their lives to affect other people's worlds and that and uh, so I mean, Gina and I are the product of these guys. These guys have sown into us. I wouldn't be a ministry if not for Ralph. He saw potential. And uh, so it's a wonderful thing. So um, welcome. Come. Yeah. Thank you, Dean. Well, good morning, Lane Park Church. How are you? So um, it's great to be here, it really is. Thank you, Dean, for those kind words, Dean and Gina, and thank you for the privilege of coming to this place that I've heard so much about, to be honest, over the years. It, it, in fact, there's a lot of history in this place, in this, in this church, um, going way, way back. And so we arrived in Palmerston North in 1984, as Dean says, and we had four children under five or something, six. We had one, the last one in Palmerston North. And um, so we're, we're sort of part of that place, really. And we've been, we've been knit together with this couple for many years. And they're doing a great job here. And, and it's, our, it's our privilege to bless Lane Park with these two and their family. So, I mean, can we pray? Can we start with prayer? Father Lord, we just thank you that uh, you're a God that cares for each one of us. Lord, sometimes I don't know how you do it, but you care for a whole mass of, of people across this globe. But you also care for each person individually. Lord, and I thank you for your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that as we open the word today, Lord, that you would bring truth and challenge and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to each of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My title today is Don't Settle, Keep Climbing. Um, I could reword that and say, uh, don't stop, keep growing. Don't stop, keep growing. So it doesn't matter what age you are, whether you are a five-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 90-year-old. We, we love Life Church because there's a whole range of, of people right through the ages, a lot of ethnicities as well. It doesn't matter how old you are, while you breathe... There is destiny, there is hope, and there is a purpose. And so there's a requirement in the days that God has given us because he's given us all these days, hasn't he? And we don't know how long those days are, but there's a requirement to find out what God wants us to do and to keep doing. Not a striving thing. I'm not talking about a striving thing. 
I'm talking about a progressive walk with our God. And uh, God is very, very interested, Lane Park, in your progress, both as individuals and corporately. He's interested in this church and what it can do in this region, in this city, in this nation, and beyond in the nations. And I, I don't know that all the history of this church, but I'm sure there's people that have been sent out over the years that, that, uh, that you may even still support. I'm not sure, but missionaries that have gone out. And so the influence of a church isn't so much by its numbers, although it's good to get a lot of people in. You've got lots of room here, actually. It's amazing. I went for a, I went for a walk around. It's just amazing. You could play cricket in here, couldn't you? Like the black caps could be here, and that could be the boundary, maybe. I don't know. Anyway... Ralph, stop. I get carried away every now and then. But, but, um, but it's clear in the Word of God. You see, see, God is interested not just in a certificate on the wall. I gave my life to the Lord. Let's, I'm just pretending here on first of whatever, 19 such and such. And the certificate's on the wall. So is my baptism certificate. And, and, and I became a life group leader there. There they all are. So I've made it and I can stop. That is not what God wants. Salvation is not just a time. You are you were saved. You are being saved. You are going to be saved. We are on this journey, people. It is a journey. Doesn't matter who you are. If you still got breath, that's what I'm saying. There is hope, and there is purpose, and there is destiny. And so there's this progression that the Bible talks about. Paul particularly is very keen. He mentions it a number of times. I think one time he uses the allergy. Allergy? I've got an allergy. No, no. <laughs> that word. He uses that from milk to meat. And look at this in the message, Hebrews 6.1. I think we might have it up there. So come on, let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Do you like that? The grand work of art. Um, Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust. That's the word again. We heard it this morning. Turning in trust towards God. I'm going to change tack. That's really just an introduction. I've got four hours, is that right? No, no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> You can turn to 2 Samuel 5, but I won't be reading. I just want to do a bit of narrative well before we actually look at the, uh, the story that's there. But in that chapter is an amazing story of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, of course, of how the city of Jerusalem was taken for the first time. It's known as Jerusalem now, but at the time it was called the city of the Jebusites. The Jebusites. And how for the first time it was taken by the people of God. And so we see this great city, Jerusalem, a city with great purpose and prophetic significance down through the ages and into the future. Has anyone ever been to Jerusalem here? Anyone at all? There's a number of you that have. Jerusalem. So we see that David, the central figure in this chapter, is mentioned uh, 1,080 times in the Old Testament and 60 times in the New Testament. He's the key figure here. He lived for 70 years, three score and ten, in a certain time in history, around about 1,000 BC, when the 12 tribes of Israel were divided. And we put that map up there. We'll see that um, uh, there was two sort of 
sorry, I'm turning my back on you a wee bit here, but um, there were two kingdoms. There was the southern kingdom of Judah, and then the northern tribes, the ten of them, the kingdom of Israel, and they were divided. And uh, uh, there were brothers against brothers, there was kin against kin, there were families against families, and uh, Israel, if you like, was split between two kingdoms. But what's phenomenal to me about the story is that David was king of Hebron, which is right there. Can you see that? He was king of Hebron. So he was made the king of Hebron. And David could have said, I have come so far and I'm happy with my lot. He could have settled down as the king of a kingdom and said, I have made it. I don't know, they never had Sky TV. I don't know what they did for leisure in those days, but they could have, he could have gone hunting, he could have uh, laid down his, his warlike abilities, etc., etc., and settled down and stopped. He could have done that. Uh, I ought to be satisfied. I've done my bit in my life. Someone else can do it now. I've heard that many, I'm not, I don't know anyone here, so I'm not looking at anyone, but, but people can do that. I've done my bit now. Others can do it. Now, there's times, of course, to change roles and voluntary stuff, and I, I know that. But um, I'm talking about a spirit that's inside of here. And David could have said that, no more fighting for me. And there can come in our journey, if we're not careful, because it's inbuilt in our fallen nature to stop and to rest and to find... I mean, I like it. I like resting. I like watching whatever... No, not Rugby World Cup... That, that's, that's a wee bit sensitive. Um, but, <laughs> but other things, I, 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 quite, I, I like resting and I like leisure. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And, and not having to do things. And we live in an age where things are painless. You go to the dentist, it's painless. Everything is painless. Let's have a bit of pain. No, we won't have a bit of pain anyway. But if we're not careful, we can settle down and we can get comfortable and resist progress and refuse, here's the word, to change. Here's a great quote. This is worth writing this down. This is from a guy called Eric Harper. And he says, in times of profound change, the learners, that's the learners, inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. That's quite profound in my view. Because when you stop and take, put your feet up and say, others can do it now, I've, my, you know, my days of ser- or do whatever, are gone, when we stop, we also stop learning. Are you with me? So the learners inherit the earth, but the learned, the people who have stopped learning, find themselves beautifully prepared for a world that no longer exists. That's the ch- this, this quote, this is a challenge for the church, Lane Park. I get excited about some of these things. Not necessarily this church, but that church, that's the challenge. That we think we've got the certificate. We think we've learned everything there is to know. We think, oh, we can do some more Bible studies. We can batten down the hatches. And if we do that, we are prepared for a world that has gone on beyond us. The greatest churches are churches that do not water down the gospel, do not compromise the gospel, but other things can change. The most successful churches do that. And some people get mixed up with music styles and all sorts of things that happen, and they want to stay back in whatever 
whatever date it is back there. But it doesn't work because the world has changed around them. Are you with me? You see, something in David um, inside him moved because he knew there was something more than Hebron. He knew it. Deep down, he knew it. There was to be the city of David, and something inside him was calling him to higher ground. The dream was not fulfilled, and many of us sitting in this place today have had a dream, even as a young child. It it may be a dream, it may be a prophetic word, it may be something that's stirred deep inside that no one knows anything more about, because you've kept it hidden here. But it's a dream from God. It's a dream from God that can stir. And my prayer today as I preach is that something stirs in your heart. Something stirs deep within you. You see, where you are now is not your final destination. Where you are now, Lane Park Church, as a church, but also as individuals, is not your final destination. Can I hear an amen out there? Okay. So we see the stirring deep in David's heart, and it went all the way back to his youth. This is really interesting. Have a track with me here. So when he was a young man at 17 years of age, it was David who killed a lion and a bear to protect the flock. It was David who went out against Goliath. And when he slew Goliath, this is, and I'm glad the children are out, this is, this is the Maccabah, I should put a rating on this. But when he killed, he took off his head. We know that. The Bible tells us that. And he, and he went with his head, dripping with blood, not just back to his tent. He took it back to the city of the Jebusites. This is when he was a 17-year-old. Uh, Jerusalem, we can say. Even though they had possession of the city, many scholars are of the view that David took it to the outside of the city on a hill and stuck it on a pole or a spear. As if to say, um, uh, and uh, as if to as if to say, there is Jebusites coming a day. I don't know when, I don't know how, but one day I will come back to the city, and the same God who gave me the head of this giant, I'm giving you notice, Jebusites, Jerusalem, that your day will come one day, and that was the dream that stirred, I believe, in. Um, in, 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 in David. Praise the Lord. I get carried away. Just excuse me for a minute. So he planted it there outside the city to serve notice that he was going to take the city for God. He was showing it to the Jebusites to demonstrate victory over this giant will one day be victory over you. And so the crushed skull of Goliath was placed on a hill. Does that ring a bell? And they say that the name of the hill was likely to be was likely Golgotha. That's what they say. It's not written down there, but that's what they say. History, the history tells us that it's likely to be Golgotha, the place of the skull in Matthew 27, 33, which we won't look at now. That would feature hundreds of years later when a man called who? Jesus Christ would gain victory over the enemy once and for all by shedding his blood and dying and rising again. And so uh, this was an, uh, also an echo of a verse way, way back at the beginning in, in Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
And so we have a tie-up in this story going, going hundreds of years into the future to, to a place called Golgotha. And then you go way, way back to the beginning of time when mankind fell. And, and, we, and, we, had this, um, uh, and, and we had this prophecy, if you like. So Jesus was crucified outside the walls at the place of the skull. And when, when God said that the serpent's head would be crushed, what David did seems to be a parallel story. Gives me goosebumps on my goosebumps. So many years go by, and now David is in Hebron, back, back to the, we're back to the future. I've heard that somewhere before. Um, <laughs> and he should be satisfied there with his Sky TV and whatever else he's got. They didn't have it in those days. Internet, they didn't have it. How, how can a world survive without internet? <laughs> Baffles the mind. Smoke's coming at me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so he remembers the stirring. He, he's in his palace in, in the kingdom of Judah, and he remembers the stirring that took place in his spirit when he was a fledgling youth, when he, was, uh, when he ran 18, 17 or 18 miles with the head of Goliath to Jerusalem, yet to be conquered. And the Jebusites might have been peering out over the walls because they thought they were totally, totally safe peering over the walls, and, and, and maybe they said, oh my goodness, that gigantic head is, is a Philistine, is, is Goliath, and who's that boy flaunting it in front of us? <laughs> so Jerusalem means the seat of authority. It was a stronghold. It was the legend of ghost stories around Israelite um, camps and fires and that they would tell their children. There was something about it. There was a mystique about Jerusalem uh, that no one would ever be able to overcome it. It was a way up. If you've been to Jerusalem, it's actually up. Probably, if you go to Waiuru, it's probably a similar height above sea level I'm talking about. Around about, I think Jerusalem's 754 meters above sea level. Waiuru is 792, something like that. So the stories uh, told of how fierce and mighty the Jebusites were three times in the Bible. You're tracking with me? You're with me? Good. Three times in the Bible, the, 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 uh, it mentions in the Scripture that we're finally going to get to um, at some stage, the words the blind and the lame. Three times it mentions the blind and the lame. Why is that? The Jewish rabbis teach that this was a phrase that was used to rub salt in the wounds of the Israelites who were for years peering on up, uh, up the walls at this particular city. So the blind and the lame was a reference, and uh, the Jebusites would take oversized dummies or mannequins. This is what they would do, according to legend. They would put them on pulleys up on the tops of the walls, and at night they would light them up with a torch and, uh, 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 with fire, and, and like a puppet on a string. And, and one would be depicted as blind... On the other side of the wall, another mannequin was put out there so that they, this is the intimidation actually that was going on, was put out for the other side of the wall and the, the, the dummy was depicted as lame. And so, so, um, and so they would light them up at night and move them along the wall so that all the Israelite armies, the Jewish people, could see this. They were taunting them and mocking them about two of the Israelite heroes of faith. According to Jewish rabbis, the blind man represented Isaac, who was blind on his deathbed. Remember that? Yeah. 
when Jacob stole the birthright. So they were saying, your forefather Isaac was a gullible blind man and you're no better. The lame man represented on the other side Jacob and they would mock and say, you can't take the city, your relative, we're so high up here. Your relative or forefather was Jacob and he was a lame man. Remember the, the bit in the Bible that talked about him wrestling with an angel and, and his hip was put out so he limped. So there was one hero of faith who was blind and the other one was a lame man. And they would put out these dummies and things and they would jeer and mock um, uh, the Israelites and they would show the weaknesses of their leaders to them. And every young soldier would look up and be reminded of the weakness of their forefathers. And uh, uh, you could call it psychological warfare. They're in effect saying, you can't come up here you're not powerful enough. And maybe there are people here today who have been mocked in their own self-talk or from the enemy or from forefathers or things that happened in your past or your upbringing or your hereditary or things that you have done that you regret now. Maybe there's mocking going on. Maybe there's intimidation uh, going on. And I want to tell you that God and Jesus Christ at that hill of the, uh, of the skull is much, much more powerful than anything that can be put into your head or into your heart. So don't accept intimidation, people, from anyone or any, any of the enemy, because God has created you for a purpose while you still breathe. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes. And they've been saying, and they would say, you might as well give up this ultimate high place that you're dreaming of. Just settle for Hebron and Samaria. Stay in your place where you belong, below us. You're nobody, you're not good enough, a bunch of cripples. And in our heads, we can hear that mocking, we can hear the same thing. Settle down and don't do anything. We don't mind you even going to church, the mocking would come. We don't even mind you having a certificate. We don't mind things happening, but do not do anything more than that, because you are not worthy of that. That's the voice that's coming across. And I want to say there's a different story in this white-hot gospel that we're talking about. There is a completely different story there is hope. There is victory. And if anything, this world, this nation, New Zealand, with the high suicide rates, etc., they need hope. Not stuff, not education. I mean, that's all good, I suppose. Not money and stuff. They need a deep hope that fills the hole that's in here. Because, because that's a demonstration in our own nation of, what, of, of intimidation that comes into their own heads and they say it's not worth living. It's, it's rampant in this nation. But there is, a, there is a name. There is a hope. So they would say, Isaac can't take the city. Jacob couldn't take the city, and neither will you. Your heritage is not good. You came from poor, dysfunctional families. You're destined to fail and not do anything. Uh, there's alcoholism in your family. Your grandfather was like that. There's depression. There's mental illness. There's things going on. There's addictions that you're all tied up with. There's angers. There's all these things that are happening. You're not good for anything. Yes, you are, says the King of Kings. The one that we were singing about this morning. Yes, you are. Praise the Lord. Because where you are now is not your final destination. And uh, it says here in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. So there is an enemy out there. There, there is a, a demonic force that are trying to take you out and take your own life. 
or at least not achieve what God has put you on earth to do. You see, Satan had a head injury, and he's never gotten over it. So here, here was David, as folklore would say, putting it back in their faces, a prophetic act, if you like. One day you will be defeated. And sometimes we can look at our parents or grandparents and say, if only I had half the faith or strength that they had. Or we can look to a hero of the faith. If only I could half. God never intends for you to have half of what someone else had. God always, and Jesus said this too, uh, greater work shall you do. He intends for you to have much more than the people around you. So we can be intimidated into nothingness because of the great acts of... And the worst thing you can do, Lane Park Church, is to compare yourself with someone else. The worst thing you can do. Because you'll always find people better than you and always find people not as good as you in your own mind or in your own thinking. So, so the comparison thing can be like a... can torpedo you. So the biblical prayer to pray is that of Elisha. He was a water pourer only. Hadn't done anything great for God. And when Elijah went up, with, uh, went up, Elisha said, God, I don't want half of what he had. I want double. Woo! Reinhard Bonnke said this, I don't want to play with marbles when God has called me to move mountains. Yeah. Isn't that great? You see, where you are now is not your final destination. So David had such a vision that his vision was to unite Israel, the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And he was not intimidated by anyone. He was a man of war. So he took his men to look at this mountain. And on top of this mountain, there was a 40-mile area up top that had been flattened. And there were huge imposing walls all around Jerusalem and big pillars. No one could get in. And David's eyes fell on one weakness. This is a God moment. (laughs) A gutter or a water shaft, 20 inches high. I don't think I could get through that. <laughs> they had to call, call the fire brigade if they had one in those days. <laughs> and so uh, 2 Samuel 5 verse 6 says this, The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. See that? They thought David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. And on that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft. It was a God aha moment to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. So that was a big feature. It was mentioned three times. It was a big issue. This intimidation. Intimidation can be a big issue for you and I. It can be. It can, it can put us into a stunned mullet, uh, well, excuse the expression, but, you know, like, like, a, like a rabbit in the headlights. It can, and it freezes us and paralyzes us for, for what we're supposed to be doing. Um, so it's not a pleasant job cleaning out gutters. Some people thought that that water shaft was like a sewer thing. I don't know. Probably full of snakes. But it was quite innovative, what David thought of, and quite clever. And I think that churches who want to go into the future with momentum we'll need to recognize that there is a new way of doing things. And I'm not trying to lecture Lane Park. I would say the same to our own church. There is a a new way of doing things um, into the future while keeping the gospel white hot. 
Are you with me? The worst thing we do is compromise. Or, and, and another me- a message that I give, and I won't you know, um, talk about too much here, but Isaac redug the wells of Abraham and didn't rename them. So we don't rename things. Sin is sin. <laughs> there is a heaven, there is a hell. There is, the, you know, anyway, I won't, I won't get carried away there. Um, so there's a new generation coming through, people. It's not a threat to the old generation. They can work together harmoniously. Amen. And every now and then I say to a congregation, I say to a person, go outside of your generation and find out and, and greet someone outside of your generation, maybe, I don't know, 20 years different, and, and, and uh, get to know their name and say, I'm going to pray for you for a whole week from here. That's a great exercise to do. Someone outside of your generation, because the generations work together. One does not replace the other in that sense. They work together. So, um, so the message today to people here and to young people, don't settle for Hebron when God has given you Jerusalem. Don't settle. Keep climbing. You can do it. Underline can if you're taking notes. Don't settle for plan B when God says, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly above that we can imagine. Ephesians 3.20. For one a time, we won't read that now. It may not be easy. It may not be comfortable. It may be in a tight place, uh, uh, like a water shaft, if you like. It may not be clean and tidy, but God is in it. If God is in it, keep going. Keep growing. Do not stop. Praise the Lord. Upward and onwards. Keep walking. Actually, the first one, this is interesting, through into the city of Jerusalem, to the water shaft, was an old fella called Joab. Reminds me of Caleb. He was 80 when he took a mountain. (laughs) Uh, Well, he climbed a mountain. So Joab pushed aside the younger ones and said, I'm going to do this. Amazing. Let me do it. And what the kingdom of God is sorely lacking is leadership. Get in and do it. Amen. So just uh, this is the second last, I think. If you put that map up there, you had, this is Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem, and that is Hezekiah's tunnel, which they found. If you've been to Jerusalem, you may have even seen that. Um, But the water shaft was this little place here. So you had to get in and crawl. This is what Joab did. Crawled his way through into the city. And it doesn't say in the Bible, but I presume he got all sort of messy and whatever. I presume he went and opened the gates. And they flooded in. That's what I I think. And I I think, um, and it's interesting because the Bible says there was not one Israeli casualty. In, take, in the t- uh, taking of uh, Jerusalem, not one. And probably the first thing they did was to grab the mannequins, the dummies, and have a bonfire of them. <laughs> That's what you got to do with intimidation, have a bonfire. <laughs> and, um, you know, so don't settle for less. It, it, it's interesting that intimidation is only that. It, you know, you hear the thing about the roaring lion having no teeth, you know. In, intimidation is only smoke and mirrors. That's what no casualties remind me of. Nothing happened. They just took the city. So don't settle for less today. God is calling you and me to higher places. Joel Osteen says, don't settle for mediocrity. Never let good enough be good enough. And today, Lane Park Church, there is, as we come to a close, there is victory in Jesus Christ. 
Amen? We believe that. It's not just rhetoric. It's not just things we sing in a song. It's actually true. <laughs> because we can get into words and whatever else in verse. The one who dealt to the authority of the evil one is the one who also crushed his head. Strongholds will come down no matter how intimidating. And the city of the Jebusites became the city of David. And 1,500 years later, when Jesus was on earth, they would cry out, Have mercy on me, son of David. That's where it all ties up. That's where it all ties up because they knew the stories. It's all linked together. And so Joab came through the gutter, went to, went to um, it was like Jesus went to hell, if you like. There's a parallel there and conquered death. Died outside the city, but rose from the dead. My final words to you are, where you are now is not your final destination. Are you ready to go, Lane Park, together? Amen. As a family, this is a great family. It's got great history, but we can't live in the history. We live in the now, but we, we honor those who have gone before us so that we're not discarding things at all. We're, we're traveling through. And, and uh, so I was just wonder if we could stand together and we just have a prayer. Is that all right? And I want to pray for all of us, actually, one, a general prayer um, that we wouldn't atrophy. Uh, I think that's the right word. I use words up here all the time. Sometimes they're not the right one, um, as you know. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, that, that, we, that we wouldn't atrophy. It's, it's, it's part of our human nature to actually decline. But in God's purpose, it's an incline. It's upwards. But in our human nature. So we have that World War III going on all the time. I'd like to pray two prayers. One, one is, and Dean, you might want to pray after as well, but one is, one is just, just that um, you will know that God is on your side and there's more. Secondly, there may be people here who have gone through intimidation from some source of some sort, from the enemy, and I'd like to pray for that to be broken. So first of all, let's pray. Father Lord, I pray for every person here because this applies to all of us. In our human, fallen, frail nature, we close down, we settle down, we stop. We, we, we no longer move. We, we believe that someone else can do it. Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name that there'll be a release. There'll be a release. Lord, we sang about the old flames dying off and new fire coming. And I pray for new fire to come across this auditorium, across the people that are here. Let there be a new day. Let the old day pass away. And let there be a new day. Let there be conquering to conquer. Let there be a climbing up and a taking of that which is trying to, to, uh, to intimidate us. And I pray for every person here who has suffered intimidation. And many of us have from some source. It might even be in the workplace. It might be someone who is jeering at us. It might be some family members even. It may be stuff in our own head that's telling us stuff. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for every person that's here that's, that's been intimidated, that in Jesus' name, those shackles will be broken. Lord, and, and revelation would come and bring freedom where there is bondage. So I pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. Lord, bless this church. Bless everything about it. May it grow. May it fill this place. May there be an overflowing that goes on in Lane Park Church, Upper Hut. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
Wasn't that wonderful? Great word. Great word. Thank you, Ralph. How about we give Ralph a huge big thank you? That's a good message.